Welcome to Love Maps, your guide to love, sex and relationships. I'm your host, Joe Nickel. I'm a psychotherapist and relationship coach. For 25 years, I've been working with couples and individuals, and I know firsthand that many people are not having the sex and love life they want. So I decided to make this podcast to give people the tools they need to get the relationships they long for with more passion, intimacy and connection. So what is a love map? A love map is the blueprint for our relationships which we developed in the early stages of our life. There's a saying, show me how you were loved and I will show you how you love. Our culture shows us how to fall in love, but I want to show you how to stay in love. Each episode, I'll be hanging out on my sofa with an invited guest who has a particular interest or expertise in love and sex. And together we'll explore a specific topic so that you can take away tools and new ideas that I hope will transform your relationships. Today, we're talking to Elena Lovendahl, She is one of the founders of the Man-Woman Project and also the Centre for Psychosexual Education. She's co-authored a book, Sex, Love and the Dangers of Intimacy. And we're going to be talking with Elena about how to have a more intimate, erotic and sustained sex life. Also with me on Love Maps is my regular sofa buddy and editor, Richard Cotton who is as passionate as I am about improving our relationships. Hey, Richard. Joe, hi. We're talking to Elena Lovendall, aren't we? We are talking to Elena and she's going to help us understand what the impact of our love maps, our relationship to our sexuality from our families and our cultural backgrounds. And she's been working with something called sexual grounding. She has been and we're going to find out about that because that is going to help all of us understand what we learnt, yeah. how it impacted yeah. on us, and yeah. what we can do about it. Exactly. And, and we'll to have a juicier sex life. Hello. So it's, it's about the perspective that we were given, right, on, on on sexuality when we were growing up. What was it? Yeah. Was it frowned? Was it celebrated or was yeah. it frowned Did upon? Did you watch your parents walking shamed? around naked? I didn't. Did your parents? No. Were they naked around you? No, ever? Joe. No. 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 I mean, so what does that? You know. I know that that's impacted on the way I feel about myself and my body and my curiosity. It's like, I didn't go around, I didn't grow up seeing what penises look like. Right. So when I grew up and saw penises, it's like, I wanted to play with them in a kind of, (laughs) I don't know how sexy that was actually for the guys, but there was definitely a little five-year-old in me Mm. that was like, wow, okay, so... What's that? And what yeah. does it do? I mean, like you, Joe, I had a rural upbringing. So a we were, you know, rural. we were out in the, uh, you know, in the well, fields. Out in the fields. Yeah. So but I feel no quite fortunate, people, really. Well, there was, I mean, there was, no, we, we were no, kids, you know, yeah. we were, no, there wasn't Rural any. England is not like the bed of, you know, normative sexual behaviour. No, but in, children running wild in the, in the forests and swimming yeah, swimming in the streams all v- that's good that was I agree. All good. yeah i got that a lot of that good. too thank god um so running naked in streams but not having a very fulfilling sexual life until we understand what the impact of shutting so much stuff down mm-hmm. in our childhood has yeah, on us that's really important so uh we're i mean we've got elena lovendahl with us and it's going to be a really interesting podcast 
Hi, Elena. Hi, Jill. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. So excited to have you here. It's been a long time since I've seen you, but our tra- your training of me was life-changing and you're a wonderful teacher and now doing this sexual grounding therapy. Can you say something about that? I think that the nearest I've come to try to explain it is like uh, if you take a tree and you cut it off from the roots and then you expect that tree to be able to flourish and grow and thrive. You wouldn't expect that. And that is basically what has happened to us in relation to our sexual natures. Right. It has been cut off from being a part of our innate sense of ourselves as if it's becoming a kind of a satellite adult kind of thing we add on to our lives. So rather than acknowledging the very, very simple fact that very often is a shocking insight to people, we all here because of a sexual act, that between our father and our mother. And every time I say that, a lot of people go, ugh. Father well, mommies and, and daddies having sex. Yeah, I yuck. know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The whole idea of mommies and daddies having actually been young men and women. Mm. Uh, or even that they're, you know, that they're sexual. And they still might be. And they still, and they, yeah. Uh, hopefully. Still hopefully. Are, yeah. Yay. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> yeah. So maybe to start, it's a good thing to start with, with the basic stuff. I am really surprised at how come that something that is so natural can become so complex as a sexual relationship between men and women or sexual relationship between anybody mostly sexual relationship to our own bodies. How come that something that is so natural that we were all made from a sexual act, it is something that is there from the beginning. We are born from the sexual act and we are born into the relationship between the father and the mother. Even if these days that we might not actually be living with the father and the mother that made us, we might not even know who the father is most of the time, sometimes not who the mother is these days either. But yet we're born into the relationship between the sexual sources, masculine and feminine, that created us. We're born as sexual beings. And that sexual energy is there from the beginning. Any of us who have been around babies, we know that like, like one of the reasons we love babies is because they are so in their bodies. Hmm. And the baby is like, if you touch a baby, the whole body is an erogenous zone. That doesn't mean that the baby is having sex, but the, the whole body is a part. Sensual. It's a sensual sexual organism. Mm. That's who we are. Sensual sexual loving organisms with heart and genitals. Oh God, don't tell body. half of, you know, most of England don't. If you said, you, you know, children are sexual and sensual would sort of, you know run for a cup of tea and a fag and say, you're, you're mad. So what happens? What, what, where do we, at what point do we lose it and why we do we lose it? We lose it very, very early. And we lose it for good reasons because children are not sexual in the way that we as adults think about sex. We overlay children's behaviour with our own experiences of sexual behaviour. And I'm not a Freudian fan. I think he did great work in his time. I also think he got it completely wrong about the, the, the Oedipal stuff. Totally wrong. And sexual grounding therapy is definitely coming from a very, very different uh, place of that. Around three, four years old, 
the sexual energy kind of come forward into the genitals. And if you have children at the age of three or four, and if your children are free enough, you will have noticed that they are incredibly curious about the genitals. Yeah, absolutely. Is yeah? If you've got yeah. grand- grandchildren, mm-hmm. they are mm-hmm. they're naturally very, very curious about them. And why wouldn't they be? They're mm-hmm. fascinating. Mm-hmm. And it feels good. It feels good. Did you touch? Yeah. It feels really good. Yeah, and it's and natural. It's very natural for the child. For the child. But how many children are, when they are in the room and there's maybe people around and stuff and... When the little girl rubs her nose, nobody takes notion. But if she comes over and she rubs her vagina, suddenly the atmosphere might change a little bit, and she might be not in fr- not in company, not in company. And it could so she can be told either indirectly, sometimes directly, sometimes shamingly, hmm. sometimes even punitively, to not do that. Now, from the child's perspective, it makes no sense. Why can I touch my nose but not my vagina? Because the child doesn't associate her vagina with a sexual act. Is that when you lose, start losing autonomy of your own body? Yes, exactly. And this is exactly what in sexual grounding therapy we're trying to bring back the natural curiosity, innocence and, and autonomy. This is mine and it's okay what I do with it. It's not yours to tell me what to do with it and to tell me how to have pleasure with it. It is an innate, yeah. natural part of me that I need support from the adults around me, specifically from the two beings, the father and the mother, my parents, who made me, of how to regulate that in my body as something that is part of me. Mm. So how often do we have a child that in their innocent curiosity and excitement is shamed Shamed. before they're four years old? So the the autonomy you're talking about, explain that. So there's a natural autonomy... It's, it's This is my body. If I want to rub my nose, I can rub my nose. If yes. I want to blink, I can. If I want to place my hands on my That's vagina, a kind of or unconscious. My, it's it's this is yes. It's sort of being told you can't touch that now. Don't touch there. It's a it's learning that your body isn't really your own. It's actually worse than that, because it is an energy. Because as you said earlier. Mm. It feels nice when I touch that. Mm. It doesn't mean that I'm masturbating. It mm. doesn't mean that I want to have sex. That's the overlay of the adult way of thinking on that behavior. The child is exploring his or her own body. Who am I? Who am I as a little boy, as a little girl? Mm. I have a wonderful story with one of my grandchildren. That absolutely, I was so grateful that I knew sexual grounding therapy. He's now five, six years old, but when he was around three, four years old, we were talking on Skype. He lives in a different country. We were talking on Skype. And suddenly, suddenly he stood up. And in front of my screen, I had this little boy. He pulled down his pants and he showed me his penis. Right. And like very naturally, and, 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 I, and I said to him, wow, that's a nice penis. <laughs> you are really a little boy, aren't you? You are a real little boy. That's a good penis. That was it. Oh, God. He took up his trousers, we sat down, we continued the conversation. Wonderful. I like that. Some weeks later, some weeks later, uh, him and his father came to visit in London, and here he was alive, and I was in the, in the bathroom brushing my, t- my teeth in the morning, and there was the little boy looking at me again with very big eyes and chatting and long and stuff, and suddenly he did the same thing. So he pulled down his pants, he stood, and he looked at me. He looked at me. And I did the same thing. I stopped brushing my teeth. I 
sat down. I looked at his penis and I said, from all kind of angles, I said, yep, that's a good penis. You are definitely a boy. That's for sure. And I called his father over and I said, what do you think? Is this a real boy? What did the father do? And the father said, yeah, that's a good penis. He said, yeah, he's definitely your son. He's absolutely, he's good. And again, and again, the innocent natural curiosity was taken care of because he just pulled up his pants and went off and then he wanted to have some breakfast. Fantastic. He was not in any way busy with sex. He was busy with who am I Mm. with this penis? Mm -hmm. Because I have seen people other girls who don't have it. So there's something like, why? how come that I have got a dad? Why have you got a penis and what has mommy got? They are so curious, but it is not sexual. In the, it is not about sexual acting. That is what we call sexual mirroring. They want to know that their genitals is part of all of them. Because if you feel, if you get the sense like, imagine I had shamed him. Don't do that. Mm. What are you doing? Mm. Yeah, naughty boy. Confusion. Even. Yeah, what is the confusion about? But it feels natural, and yet I'm being told something contradictory. Yeah, exactly. So what happens to your excitement about this amazing new discovery? I've got a penis, totally squashed. Now, if you squash the excitement, you also squash the curiosity, and the innocence is immediately taken away. The energy of the sexual excitement in the body and the pleasure it feels doesn't go away, thank God for that, because it is irrepressible, thank God for that. But it goes underground and it becomes... Diverted. Exactly. It becomes a little bit like if I say to you, close your eyes and don't see a green door. (laughs) You see a green door. Yeah, mm. absolutely. So it becomes overexcited mm. rather than it becomes regulated. So that shaming, that suppression of the natural energy of the, the boy and his... And the girl, and the similar girls, with the girl. Boys and girls at that age. When that emerges in their teens, when, they, when, when these children that were thinking about this little boy, for instance becomes a teenager and becomes sexually active, how does that impact on the way they are in their relationships? Very good question. Mm. People are often wondering how come that that period is such a difficult period between children and parents, when actually that's a time when the children really need guidance from them. But at that period, very often also, that's when they say, I, I can't use that language, but like, yeah. you have not, yeah? Yeah, you, you can, can. Use, you that, have, you can <laughs> use that language, you, by the way. Okay, yeah. fuck off. you. Right, yeah. Well, it's teenage you, language yeah. as well. You know, yeah, absolutely. They have the bullshit detector. You can't tell me what to do because you know nothing. Mm. You say one thing, you do another thing. Yeah. You say it's wrong, and then suddenly you say it is a good thing, but I actually don't see you enjoying it yourself. Mm. And actually, I don't feel in my own, like, I was not brought up to this. So I don't believe anything you say. Mm. So I will go out and speak to my mates. I'll go to pornography these days to get the sex education and the sexual mirroring that I don't get from home because this energy is my energy. Do you think that if children have appropriate mirroring from their parents, their caretakers, sexual mirroring, intimacy mirroring, that the desire to find 
a mirroring through pornography would be less pronounced? I have no doubt about it. In Holland, what has shown up over the last 10, 20 years, because the children are being given very, very good sexual education, that they actually have sex later by choice. They have a much freer relationship between boys and girls because the overexcitement is not there. They're not just being told about the perfunctuality and about how to not get any diseases and not to get pregnant. Is pornography it's, it's a big story in those countries? I think pornography is something that is worldwide. And I think, okay, let's I'm just go I'm just wondering there. about whether there had been, through the impact of appropriate sexual education and hopefully more appropriate mirroring from adults who are aware, that children would be less compelled to look to pornography as some kind of mirroring of what is sex and what is... In the younger generations, it's definitely coming out now that they are far less fascinated by that. Okay. Like, I I haven't got an issue, I haven't got a moral issue with pornography. It's about the the psychological impact of it, though. It's the psychological impact of it. I think it is the natural curiosity that is trying to come out. The problem is that... That is almost, I always, whenever I see people thinking, okay, the excitement of looking at pornography, of seeing penises and vaginas and how they interact and what they look like close up and stuff, I think I can understand that because how often do you have a chance? And when you were three, four, five, six years old, were you allowed to touch and smell and see? It's your natural curiosity. Most of us were not. I don't know anybody who really were. We weren't uh, allowed to, which is why we went behind the garden shed and with played our neighbours and, and played doctors and nurses. And the most important game fa- in the world. What happened when you were found out? I, I wasn't. Oh, good for you. I, I, I wasn't either. I wasn't. I, I, was, I remember doing it the six-year-old uh, neighbour's son. We weren't found out either, and we really loved each other. Oh, I, I, we I, really yeah, loved I missed out. I don't think I played doctors and nurses. Not I at think all. That's, no, I think that's still to come. <laughs> How no, but that is no, but okay, no, but that is. I remember <laughs> shaking my penis at my cousins. Yeah, but that's yeah. that's it. And can you remember why you did it, and how old Just, were you? I was about four. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. What happened? Uh, laughter and yeah. but joyful wasn't derisory. Brilliant. <laughs> it was brilliant. just fun. Yeah, no, brilliant. That's actually that yeah. is actually as simple as it should be. Yeah. You're whacking your penis yeah. and, and the people joyfully smile at you and, yeah. and don't make a big deal we out of it. We were all the same age. I mean, it wasn't like yeah, no, older yeah. people. Are. Not shaming. No, sh- it no, not it wasn't, shaming. no, there wasn't no, any shame. No, it was shaming. not shaming. No. But so that the, the adolescents you're talking about, if they don't have, the, if they don't trust that they can go home and talk to their parents about what's going on, the changes in their bodies, about how do you know if you like somebody? How do you know if you want to start having sex is are these feelings okay dad did you ever feel shy when you were 15 16 years old what happens when you're on the bus and you it shakes and you have an erection because you can't control it in those days because it's so full of energy it's just everywhere like you 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 see the the beautiful young girls in the t-shirts and the breasts are jumping and your penis is jumping and dad how do you deal with that Thanks for listening to Love Maps. Stay tuned for the second half of our podcast with Elena Lovendahl. You can find more information and support on our website, lovemapspodcast.com and follow Love Maps Podcast on Instagram.
we have adults coming in to see us as couples yes. or therapists. Yep. If I don't have the opportunity mm -hmm. to do this kind of long mm -hmm. work with them and mm -hmm. take them through these different stages mm -hmm. and I need to just help them become more connected in yep. their relationships. We're looking at couples who are, you know, coming in se feeling sex starved. This is 99% of presenting issues yeah, for couples. Exactly. So they're not having sex. Uh, discrepancy. Oh, discrepancy. There's a discrepancy. One wants it more than the other. There's not a sort of... And very often they don't have sex. Much more often than people know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. A lot. Sex starved. There's a desert out there. One wants it more. Anyway, the big issue is people are not having the sex lives they long for and they want. Yeah. And most of the time they blame the partner for that. Absolutely. I, one of the interesting things is that when women have a higher desire mm -hmm. than men, mm -hmm. that you don't often hear a woman saying, he doesn't really want to have sex with me. I don't know what's wrong. I want it, but he doesn't. There's something sort of more shaming about women owning that they have a higher desire. In other words, I'm not fanciable. That's, that's, that's where I was going to go for I'm it. not good enough. That as women, I'm not hot enough. As, as, as women, we are socialized to get the the validation from the outside as to our desirability our mm. lovability mm. and some approval of our sexual energy well our sexuality the, has been shamed for, for eons for eons and it is not yet over no it is still being shamed well, the patriarchy is still very much active. So. We yeah. were, we are feeling the shame. I would say that's that's my experience also. Though, yeah, of no, men yes. is that they are also looking for external validation this of is their exactly. own sexual so if power. So you're absolutely right. This is why I'm hesitating a little bit when I say, "Can I just query you on, on whether whether men and women have got the same level of desire?" I think we have the same level of desire. We the have, same level, but they just. It, yes, they experience it differently. Some often, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not that they don't have different levels, but mm -hmm. their desire manifests and is activated differently in them. Yeah, there, there is the cliche of like a woman needs to feel good to want to have sex, and a man needs to have sex to feel good. Or that's the cliche, that and I think a it's a cliche. It's a cliche because it is not true. It's it is not, not my experience. No, it isn't true. Bear with me if I take it back yeah, yeah. to, to the Absolutely. developmental stages because it is relevant to what we're talking about. Let's say between the ages of around four to roughly 24, it is about self-exploration. Who am I? It's about identity. Who am I as a sexual boy, young woman, young man, girl? Who am I? It's more like... It is, in, it, is in, it is very natural as for teenagers to want to explore with boys and girls and men and women and myself. And if, if I look to you as a man, and let's say you got into a relationship, and I have not been allowed to truly explore and own my own sexuality before I, I became a teenager or a young, or young woman, but I, I definitely learned that sex was something that the man wants in order to be with me. Mm -hmm. And that message, I think people are still getting, it is changing these days, but it is still out there that, that it is something that I have to give to the men in exchange for being loved. Mm -hmm. okay. Absolutely. That's yeah. what I grew up. Yeah, a lot of people are still growing up with yeah. that. With that's yeah. a big, big narrative exactly. for a lot of women. Yeah. On top of that, the mirroring of actually what does it mean to be a sexual woman? How many 
do you know who have looked to their mother and had a mirroring of the sexual mother? Uh, like nobody I know. No, and the sexual mother is some of the most important, one of the most important functions for a mother, mm. for the teenager, mm. let's say. Because if not, how can I, as your daughter, grow into becoming a woman that is confident enough in my own sexual nature that when I come to be with a man of my choosing, that I have something to exchange and share with and can actually give proper content, consent and actually probably exchange my energy. So often we get into relationship as women. We look to the men to make, to make you are responsible to make me feel like an attractive woman, a real woman. And of course the boys do the same with us. They look to us women to mirror you, to feel like a real man, a potent man, a sexual man, a desirable man, a wantable man. So we're man. filling in for the parents that didn't yes. do that job properly. Yes. Ooh. So we need to find and out, and find and out for ourselves. But we need to do the work on ourselves to feel secure and have an anchor in our own sexual So when we come uh, to it, we can exchange the sexual energy as self-regulated beings rather than look for the partner to regulate our sexual energy, which we should have had from our parents decades earlier. Self-regulation. It's a self-regulation. If you didn't have that mirroring, yes. yeah. which most of us didn't, how do you think... On a practical level, any man or woman, anybody listening to this, what can they do to start taking back something of that responsibility? I mean, I'm a great believer in masturbation and in discovering, you know, yourself and exploring your own erotic self and self-pleasuring, self-pleasuring, learning about yourself, your body and what you like and what parts you like to be touched. And all of that, I think that's a beautiful thing to do. Yep. Is really give yourself permission to... It's more than beautiful, it's, vi- it's pivotal. It's vital. Yes. <laughs> and it's- so that you're coming into relationship fully conscious of your own, uh, what you more love. More aware what of you- what you like, what you need, what you want, so you can have some place to express yourself from yep. to your partner. In other words, what, what do you want? What do you like? What can mm-hmm. I, how can I look after you tonight? Or whatever it might be, whatever the exchange is, that you're coming from a place of knowing mm-hmm. what it is. Mm-hmm. So apart from sort of encouraging people to really explore their own sexuality and their own eroticism through masturbation, also through um, reading erotic literature. Mm-hmm. So what's the starting point? Don't feel ashamed about having sexual problems in your marriage. Join the club. The vast majority of people are struggling. What you were saying about, about getting to know yourself first is a vital part of it. The good news is if you are lucky enough to have a partner who is willing to explore with you, that's a blessing in itself. So the first thing is to, is to begin to actually realize we're in this together and to, for us to help them to see that the symptoms that have brought you to us into this consulting room is actually something that means you well. It is not because you're failures. It's Absolutely. Be, it's like if, if you didn't know that there was something more to it than what you have, you wouldn't mm. be here. No, mm. absolutely. I think the bravery, <laughs> I really honour the bravery and the intention yeah. that gets couples into, yeah. into my consulting and room. And the symptoms that they're coming in with are like other yeah. symptoms. They're simply just saying, this aspect needs some attention 
to be healed is not out to get you, but because it's a sexual issue, because the sex is so vital to our life and to our well-being, mm. because it isn't just about sex, it's about connection and love and yeah. feeling safe and secure and feeling seen and known and touch, touch and smell. So, so oxytocin. We have, it is the only other all. place that mm. we have access to all of those things from when we were ba a baby, but yeah. now we have to do it consciously. Yeah. So come back to your question, where do you start? If you have symptoms and you have enough commitment and enough courage to look at each other and say, we can do better than this. I'm not happy. Are you? No, I'm not. Even that, admitting to that, is an enormous step into intimacy. Mm. Yeah. So then if you start looking at, rather than blaming the partner for saying, um, we would have a great relationship if only you would never reject me or you would have, want to have sex more often. Then if I can start looking at, to, okay, how, what is it I need from you as my partner to want to have more sex with you? Can I actually take responsibility for giving you at least a chance to find out how we could have more of something that we both want to have more of? Mm, mm. When actually in the midst of our symptoms and our fear, we're running away from each other, think that the other person doesn't want me. And, and I'm not desirable, or maybe I'm after the babies have been born, I'm not so attractive anymore, or I'm not 25 and my body is not as beautiful, or my penis is maybe not as erect and strong as when I was 20, and maybe that's the problem, because that's never the problem. It is never the problem. It is symptoms of it. All of these physical things that are real, that comes with age and changes of life and stuff, they're part of life. But if you actually feel safe and secure enough in yourself and with your partner to talk about it, there are so many exciting and erotic... I might say erotic. Erotic Erotic ways has got nothing to, to do with any of that no. other stuff, has it? Now, there's a difference between me unconsciously having sex with my partner, husband or partner, uh, in order to make sure he doesn't abandon me and go off with somebody else. Uh, because that is actually not me having sex as an adult woman. That is the, me putting the little child inside of me who doesn't want to be abandoned in front to be asked to do a job that is not hers to do. But that is that is going back to putting equating love and sex, where I grew up thinking I had to take care of the man if I don't take oh, yeah. care of the blue man. balls. Yeah. If I don't take care the of the blue balls. If you don't have sex, the man gets... Have you brought oh, up oh, with that? Right. Like, like the man who wakes up with the erection in the morning, that means that you have to have sex with him because if not, the poor man gets blue balls. Okay. And that's my responsibility. Okay. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm a, well, I, I never believed in that yeah, one, but I have heard... It doesn't sound like your responsibility. No, no. no, I, no, no I felt I was responsible for looking after the man and making sure he felt happy sexually from morning, first thing in the morning to last thing at night, I was responsible. Lucky and man. I, he must lucky, have loved it. I th well, I do you know what I think it at the end of the day, having get, taken care of him, I think in some part of themselves they feel my emptiness. Of course, because it's either because you I'm mothering them, because I or is a little child in you. Obviously, it didn't make me happy. I was still empty. I was just fulfilling that thing of sex equals love. I need to take sex equals not being abandoned. Exactly. Because at the other hand, 
men are struggling as much as women are with this mm-hmm. and they're being called, told as many lies as we are being told yes. mm-hmm. about what's expected from men and what women want and what yeah. we don't want and what is what they're supposed to be doing so what and do what all th- the other men what, can do. What is the big lie, do you think? Do you think men are also creating, thinking that they have to look after women in the same way that women have been oh, trained God, yes. to look after men? I, mean, I think trend. differently. Differently. I can't speak, I'm not a man. No, so so I, I would I, like I, to hear yeah. from you, Richard, but I have no doubt that <clears throat> you have been given similar narratives. Well, there, yes, I mean, uh, broad, more broadly speaking, of course, yes, there are still strong narratives about provider, you know, um, uh, being emotionally strong, which really equates to emotionally held, you know, and not allowing... Uh, by making emo- by making emotional expression synonymous with weakness, mm-hmm. that's a strong narrative yeah, no, still for men. Thing. I think it is a big one. You know, uh, was, of course, the opposite one. is true. It's a big one, and of course, it's not true. And I think it is one of the reasons that um, that we have this narrative that men are more. If I use the word obsessed, I don't like. I, don't, I really don't like doing these stereotypical things. But like that, men are more obsessed with sex and wants it more than women. Oh, I don't think that's true at it's all. It's not true at all. But no. but it's one of the things that you're saying, Richard. Like, is I think it's been one of the only needs that men have been allowed to have had sexual needs. It's the only manly need that is permissible. Mm. Like if if actually. Like for a man to say, I don't really fancy making love tonight, but would you just hold me? Mm. I'm feeling vulnerable. Yeah, I've just had a tough day today. I'm feeling really like, uh, like for me, that's a that's a seriously adult manly right. uh, behavior. Right. But I'm an adult woman. Yeah. Yeah. So when you hear that, when you, I hear you feel, that, wow, respect. I, it is respect. Wow, that's so beautiful. It's very intimate, isn't it? it you, you, your hands show that you opened your heart. You yeah. just did but that. it is yeah. not the mother in me that opens my heart. It's the woman in me hmm. that opens my heart. Because when you do that, I actually feel that that you are connecting, uh, like that, that, that... He's taking responsibility. This is, this is exactly the one that I wanted to come back on about how can people start. Mm. There's a difference between me coming to my partner with these needs unconsciously, mm. pretending that I am an adult man or woman wanting sex or being flirtatious or whatever, when unconsciously it is run by the little kid in me that actually doesn't want, that who wants to be approved of, doesn't want to be rejected, mm. that doesn't want. Now we have all of those feelings, all of us, of mm. course. Mm. If I can own them, mm. then I can bring them into the relationship in a way that will actually add to our ability to be truly intimate and mm. will in turn allow us to really start playing with the erotic aspects yeah. of our adult relationship. So you've been listening to the first part of our interview with Elena Lovendahl. Please listen in to part two, The Roots of Sexuality. Thanks for listening to Love Maps. We hope you've taken away something useful. If you know anyone who's struggling in their relationship, please share our podcast with them. You can find more information about the topics covered and links to therapeutic support on our website, lovemapspodcast.com.